Welcome everyone to the 23rd episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Kozell here with my boy, Nick Tartaglia. How are you, man? What's up, guys? Uh, it's a It's been a gloomy week with this weather. Gloomy year, gloomy yeah. day. <laughs> Got a couple nice days here. Um, yeah, the day, the, the day at night it gets freaking cold. But uh, as soon as it hits fall here, it's almost like summer didn't even exist. Yeah, exactly. It literally transitioned so quick. It's like it, it didn't ease into this weather. It just went from hot, cold. Yeah. And this is just the volatility that's yeah, like... It's literally, it, it's aligning itself with everything else going on. It's just, everything's volatile and chaotic. And you know, that's honestly a perfect segue to what we're going to be talking about today. Um, the volatility that we've seen in the stock market this year is almost unprecedented. I don't have to yeah. repeat that, but um, tech led a massive sell-off these last yes. few days. Which is and, uh, and um, a lot of retail traders, we'll call them newbies, and that's okay because that's what they are. Um, they they were not expecting this, and they were just thinking, well, so. if stocks are good, stocks can only continue to go up. Shout out to Dave Portnoy for that. I, yeah. I think you and I, we, we love Dave Portnoy. We love Barstool Sports. But Dave Portnoy, man, got a lesson these last few days. The stocks don't always go up. Yeah. Uh, a false teacher. There's a thing uh, he says that one of the worst lessons you can experience is only success. So only knowing a bull market where things are only going up because you're going in, at, you're entering at a bottom and you're just, and you, all you see is things going up, 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 up. It kind of creates an illusion that stocks only go up, but the issue is you have not contextualized the timeline of how markets have functioned for years and years and years, and you've taken a four-month experience, and then you've assumed that that is how it works for a decade. Timeline, if you look at charts, things complete change. You have personal factors that in fact, that social factors, political factors, you have natural factors, you have economic factors, you have business cycles. All these factors yield different cycles in the economy and in the markets. And you know, so like there's, it's impossible for things to just only, only go up. Booms well, and bust. I also think you mentioned a key word, right? Uh, cycles, mm -hmm. right? I think this is the root fundamental uh understanding of markets of business if you think that the you know the good times are going to last forever they do not there is a point in time where there needs to be a little bit of a setback uh which is what we're experiencing right now but even in the short term right um what's interesting though is when you look at the tech rally that we've experienced uh, for the last realistically the whole summer you know everybody was like this market is insane um to me and you, I don't think it was a surprise that we saw this deep of a sell-off uh, this, this quickly. And I'll, tell, I'll explain to you why. Um, and I'm not, we're not trying to brag here. Uh, you know, Nick, you've been trading in the markets for, what, six, seven years. I've been around that exact same time almost. Um, anytime stocks go parabolic, they're going to they're gonna pull back. Especially that fast. Especially when other fundamentals don't support it to give it legs for it to continue to run. It's like, and then we even have fears of a double dip recession that a lot of economic economists are looking at. Uh, you have, you have global recession on a global scale. You have Australia that experienced its first recession in 30 years. That's huge. That is really, really big. Like people are not contextualizing the micro and macro fundamentals that impact the overall 
asset classes and economics. And it's like the US dollar has a fear of it losing its power. You have China that's like, you could become the new king of the, of the global marketplace. And it's just all these things going on. Bankruptcies like back in the financial crisis, uh, governments printing all kinds of money. And so, and what happens when you print a lot of money, you tend to have an, you tend to see inflation, especially when you abuse that you get hyperinflation. So that's another little scary little factor we have to kind of account for now. Um, Yeah. Like I feel like this COVID kind of put people in a bubble where you just kind of saw uh, it. it, it, Honestly, it reminded me sort of like the Bitcoin and uh, marijuana boom that happened there where everybody was rushing at the top and then it collapsed and everybody got screwed over. And then they kind of had the same thing. Everybody rushing in at Tesla at 1006, 1008, 2000, 2005. I know people that bought Tesla after the split. They, they literally got you. I, I, we were calling that. We're like, the only reason they're doing that is to create a psychological support line for it resistance. So people and amateurs would realize, well, oh, the price is cheap again. And then people were buying exactly after as we, we would have figured they would. So you know what you know what I did? Um, I actually bought Apple uh, two days after the split. Mm-hmm. I actually added more to my whatever my existing position was. That was the first one to play out that uh, split announcement. Right. That's that so, was the second. But yeah. the thing that I was watching the most, and this has been the best indicator for when there's a massive pullback of any sort, is the VIX. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you that don't know, the VIX is really the volatility. It's it's the volatility in the market. It's also an indicator of fear. Uh, and the baseline that I'm seeing here, we're going to get into technicals here, but the baseline has been about 24, 24.7. Every time it seems to touch that line, it always bounces back. Okay. Now you got to be careful here because you don't want to use historical bias and recency bias as a way to make your investment decisions. Mm -hmm. But usually when this stuff happens, especially this year with what Nick just said, there's this, all this disconnect between the macro and the, and, and the stock and it, market. And we didn't even go into politics. and we didn't, I didn't, yeah. There's a lot of stuff we left out here. A hundred percent. So when, when you look at that, um, to me and Nick, this, this sell-off was not surprising at all. Uh, in fact, I, I personally took advantage of it. I, I bought Apple puts uh, two Fridays ago. Uh, because I saw that as a great opportunity, pull mm-hmm. the trigger. Um, it, it's, you know, you, 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 you got to risk it at that point. But the point is, anytime the stock market rallies like this, um, especially from the March lows, I mean, we're sitting at what, 50% from the, month, the March lows, like in what, seven months? Mm-hmm. This is, you know, to me, this like, and you, you look back at in the early 2000s, I mean, we didn't understand what, what stocks were back then, but um, you look back at what happened in the 2000s, a lot of people are saying this is very similar to what happened during that, that dot-com bubble because there's all these wave of new retail traders who don't understand risk management, mm-hmm. who don't understand what stop losses are, who don't understand business cycles, and who don't understand uh, you know, when to, 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 to take money off the table. They're right? heavily impacted by, like, by, by moves like, high, like a hype easily impacts retail investors fear of missing out it's a lot of it's a lot of weakness in terms of psychological behaviors that usually when you get into this world you're saying to yourself that's something i have to master and it tends to be one of the biggest failures of most people that enter the world of investing and trading is that well they don't master the psychology and that's the biggest lesson they end up learning is well my psychology kind of screws me left and right and you're, these guys are just lucky that the, the current landscape has not yielded a real lesson until the last two weeks when we've started seeing a validation that there's a real potential for a huge downside now, which was led off by Tesla. 
because Tesla is the most ridiculous inflated evaluation I've seen. I think my, I don't think if there's one that's ever been this insane as an evaluation. And we talked about this in one of our previous episodes about Tesla's fundamentals not making yeah. sense. Don't get me wrong. Tesla's a great company. Exactly. Fantastic company. In fact, like you, you got to love Elon Musk. I mean, I don't, I don't see how you can hate this guy for what he's trying to do. You know, he's well ahead. He's, he's really our, our generation's uh, Steve Jobs, I think. Yeah. Uh, but, but an investment is, has a different I, thesis. It, it's just, you look at the valuations, you look at the expectations, right? The next earnings, the, the next earnings, uh, announcement that they have, the stock is going to move yeah. a lot. Now gonna, we don't yeah. know what direction they could probably blow it out of the water, which wouldn't surprise me, but they could also be under expectations. And that yeah. would send the stock cradling another 20% yeah. because there's mm-hmm. nothing there to support it. Exactly. My short, look, short term because of the volatility. So if you just look at the VIX or you just look at everything going on because of the volatility, the up and down, the up and down and the, so the, the, the countless irrational moves that's been going on in the short term, I'm not going to make a call on Tesla. That's not the game. But if I'm going to go mid midterm, I, I don't like the thesis on Tesla. If I go really long potentially, yeah. but I would rather wait for a midterm short, uh, pullback to then take a long-term position because again even at this price range right now you're still looking at a multiple that's around a thousand the highest point of its pe multiple was like a thousand three a thousand four guys you remember that means that for every dollar it earned at that evaluation for every dollar that tesla earns you're paying between a thousand to a thousand five hundred dollars for that one dollar does that make sense to you if assuming there's no growth that's a thousand to a thousand five hundred years of earnings before you get your, your worth back. Now you're break even. Come so on this, guys. Yeah. So this is where you got to understand. Okay. You know, are you day trading? Are you investing? Or are you gambling? Yeah. Right? And it seems to me that the psychology just based on what's been going on, a vast majority of these young retail investors are gambling, right? Mm-hmm. They see an opportunity. They make a, they make a shit ton of money and then they think they're on top of the world. And then they forget, Oh, maybe I shouldn't be risking or leveraging my account seven to one or risking, you know, 92% of my capital. Mm-hmm. And right? then we had that kid during COVID that died there that ended up losing $700,000 from options trading a university right. student who had no idea what he's doing. Yeah. And, uh, there was actually going to be some precaution. There's going to be some lawsuits out of that for sure. Robin hood definitely is going to be on the yeah. forefront of that, but and regulations will get put, put, put in place. Yeah. So I think, you know, the most important thing right now is there's a lot of people our age trying to get into the stock market. Yeah. And I'll explain to you why. Two reasons. And I, we've, I think we've talked about this many times, but the banks, it's going to take you 800 years to double your money at a bank. So whatever you leave in your bank account, is, it's lost money, right? it's forget it. It's gone. Like you're using that to spend, you got bills to pay. You want to live. Sure. You know, there's different rules with that. I personally live by. I'm sure you feel the same way. Uh, you know, we're not going to buy dumb stuff with like earned money. It just doesn't make sense unless you're, you know, you're doing really well, but even then it just doesn't make sense, but you can't make money at the bank. There's no question about that. The second thing that I would say is when you look at bonds, right? The fed, (laughs) Every single uh, central bank in the world, uh, ex- excluding Japan, which has been in negative interest rates for quite some time, <coughs> uh, interest rates are at zero. So what that means is uh, you can't even get any type of return in the bond market, uh, at least in the short term, I think in the next like two to three years, it's just not attractive. 
right? Mm -hmm. So where are people going? They see the stock market. They're like, I'm going to make money in the stock market. It is the biggest wealth creator machine in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's also the biggest wealth destroyer if you don't yes, play it properly. Yes, exactly. Remember, right? there's people, plenty of people that make... The world of finance is so fascinating because it's like, it's the only place where people love to talk about what you make, but nobody loves to talk about what they've lost. Trust me, I've lost, I've lost, I've lost, you know, a good amount of money to, to learn it. But <laughs> when you lose money, you got to look at it and be like, this exactly. is me paying my dues. This yeah. is my education. Yeah. You know? There's a process to it. And it's, it's just that it's like that these guys that during COVID, everybody coming on Instagram, talking about stocks, this, that it's like, but where were all the rational voices to, trying to warn them saying, guys, calm down. But that's greed. That's one of the biggest factors that young people have. It's the, the desire. It's the greed. It's, oh, I see people making money. I need to make money. Oh, I can do it through my phone. Let me get on. I'm going to make money too. But then they don't realize there's a due process to this network. There's a reason why it's considered, it's one of the highest it's the place where the people make the most amount of money, but also the people where people make the lose the most amount of money. Those who do their due diligence, those who do their, the, who, who give themselves to the process eventually get there, but it takes time. The ones that get in luckily based on a, a market bull run, that's just un, just not sustainable. Exactly. It's just <laughs> no, not sustainable. Just not. It's not supported by any real fundamental reasons other than just in money being printed, uh, people hyping over it, the bottom that drove tech to kind of be, well, it's a forward looking market for, especially for tech and institutions. So I kind of get why tech kind of popped, but then it just kind of blew everything else up with it, which kind of, uh, you know, things are, <laughs> it, it's It's funny. Cause when Apple announced that they're doing a stock split, which is something they've done, I think four or five times historically already. Yeah, I think this is the fifth time they did yeah. it. So they've already done it before. And usually you do that because you're saying, okay, look, the value of my business is not changing. All I'm going to do is I'm going to multiply the amount of stocks I have, which then reduces the cost of my actual share, but it does not reduce the value of my business. Entirely big difference. So when I saw that, I was like, you know what? Because there's so many retail people on the market right now, I was like, I told some of my clients, I'm like, okay, guys, we're going to buy some Apple right now because, well, I guarantee you there's going to be another little run because... Because it was near the, there was a little pullback happening. Tesla was at about 1,003 at this point, 1,004. Then Apple announces that they're going to do a stock split. And then things get a heated a, a little the next day. And then like three, four days later, Tesla announces they're going to do a stock split. And then things just start firing both of them. It kind of validated the Apple move. And then just psychology took over. Tesla, Tesla was also, the rumor was that Tesla was going to be on the S&P 500. And yeah. that obviously drove more psychological buy to, to, to yeah, just drive exactly. it up even more. And then the rumor turned out to be false. Yeah. Uh, so that's another thing too. You're looking at headline risk. Uh, you know, people right. that are just trading and investing off of headlines. It's a form of gambling. Yeah. Um, and if, if you, the funny thing is if they didn't, if you guys don't look at your draw side, the, like the drawback side of what you're investing in, like buying a Tesla, you have to tell yourself if the draw side, the downside is that, oh my God, the next five to 10 years at these prices, I could not see a single return from Tesla because it could come crashing down and then take 10 years to get back to this point. Because if you look at the evaluation alone, it's a little ridiculous. Even in two years, it should not go back to this point if we apply some sort of rational fundamentals to this. So then it's like, well, I just wasted 10 years of investing if I do that, five to 10 years. And that's where you're looking at your midterm thesis. And it's like, well, crap, I could have done something way more. Guys, there's, there's a thousand stocks out there. It's like, you don't have to, just because the media focuses on the one that's going crazy, doesn't mean you have to put your attention on it. Look elsewhere.
Don't get me wrong, though. Apple, I think, long-term is yes. probably one of the no, no, best, no. best investments, uh, My right? primary, my, in that statement, I was heavily primarily targeting Tesla because at the all-time high of Apple, their PE was only like 40, which, I mean, is still a little out there for a tech, but it's not that out there compared to, remotely compared to Tesla. Here, so here's, like, here, here's the other thing, too, with Apple, since we're talking about it right now. Apple gained a trillion dollars in a span of two months. How does that make sense? Right? How do you rationalize that from a fundamental perspective? Forget about technicals, but from a fundamental perspective, how do you rationalize a company gaining a trillion dollars without any type of revenue increase to support to that? Support price that? Exactly. So, like, that's how you have to start thinking about these companies, right? You know, it's very easy to say, okay, I'm going to go look at a biotech stock like Gilead, for example, and I'm just going to throw my money in there because I know that they're going to get a vaccine. It's like, no, what I would do to play biotech, for example, is buy the whole index. Yeah, there's yeah, too exactly. much. There's actually too much risk involved yeah, exactly. with biotech. Exactly. You know? Cash burn on like, see, the thing is, if you, if anybody watches small cap, especially, and one of the components of small cap is heavily like mining and pharmaceuticals, pharmaceuticals thrive in this industry because there's a lot of startups. A lot of people like bought out, a lot of crash and burns. But when you look at it, it's like, you know, that typically a real study for vaccines require, take some time, three to five, 10 years, depending on what you're trying to do and try to cure. And then all of a sudden, because of COVID, these guys are going, are trying to pop this out at an ex unheard of rate. And it's like, well, there's, there's gotta be some backsides to this. There's no way they're going to come out that easy with something without facing some sort of hurdles and what happened i forget who was last week came out with the fact that they found that there were some negative impacts on their vaccine and it slowed things Ast down astrazeneca exactly them so personally for me i was like that was bound to happen because if you if you base a rational conclusion based on what how it normally behaves the most probable outcome was that happening but when you don't understand what you're looking at and investing in, if you just go in assuming, well, someone's going to find a vaccine. So you're just going in purely on hype, but you don't have a fundamental or a thesis to really support your claim. And that's where the gambling part comes in. And you're just rushing in to rush in. You don't know what price makes sense. You don't know what your draw, draw the drawback side is. And you're just playing a really scary game at that point with your price, money on the line. Price is what you pay, right? Yeah. It's not the value of the company. Exactly. And that's, that's where people get so confused because, and this is where I, I I'll be honest, like I, made this mistake when I first started with investing. I bought at the yeah, top. But everyone does. But, I, but, but that's I the only way mistakes. that's the only way you learn in this situation. Right. Um, I would say this though, when you look at sort of the year that we've had, um, and it's definitely not a regular year by any means. No. Um, 2020 is going down in the books. That's for sure. A hundred percent. Like this is, we'll talk about this for generations <laughs> for sure. Uh, obviously the election coming up, that's a another risk. I mean, we talked about that last time. And that's but, playing, that's fueling the volatility in the market. Absolutely. Too. Absolutely. But when you look at sort of the performance of the whole sector, um, I want to bring up one sector that doesn't get a lot of attention. And I think is actually going to be, and I'm starting to look at this in my own personal portfolio. And I'm sure you are too. Um, nobody's giving this love at all right now. I think it's energy. Yeah, of course, hundred um, percent infrastructure. Ener energy, energy is that one. It's the, been the most beat up sector uh, to date. Mm -hmm. um, if we look ironically, at even ironically, even need it. Yeah, so yeah, it's down forty three percent year to date. 
while tech is up 24%. But I really think that energy, nobody's talking about it. No. Uh, it's going it's to not have, cool. It's not social media cool. It's... Or, you know, the environmentalists will <laughs> okay. say oil is dead. Uh, it's polluting the environment. I'm like, okay, well, let me ask you a quick question then. What's going on with wind? What's going on with solar? Okay, solar is great, but it's very expensive. Yeah. It's extremely expensive to maintain. And the problem with solar is that it can only be, it's only available in like the sunbelt states of the US, right? Because in the winter, it's very difficult to get that yeah. type of sunlight. You're not, you're not, you don't have as much sun light to fuel your battery. Exactly. Exactly. So th there's that. Wind, the problem with wind is, I don't know. I don't know who said this, but um, it does take up a lot of a, it does take up a significant amount of land space, but it also kills birds. Yeah, and the their problem is there's scientists trying to tweak with that now. Yeah, you know, so so there's there's I think it was a study. I, I don't know where the source was from, but I, I heard it. I heard it on uh, on CNBC. They were talking about how wind turbines were literally turning uh, into graveyards for birds. Right, there were birds just piled up because they were flying into it, and it's just. All right. You know, so what happens when there's no wind? Well, you don't get any energy, right? And I'll use California as an example right now. And we're obviously our thoughts and prayers are with people that are in that state that with the forest fires and, and all that stuff, like it's really crazy what's going on, but they had to shut down uh, their entire, uh, you know, circuit, circuit, uh, electrical circuit for like two days for whatever reason. I don't know what it was. Um, so when I saw that, I'm just like, well, wait a minute. We're in Quebec right? We also have natural gas. We have oil. Uh, we have a bit of oil, uh, but we also have hydro. Hydro, yeah. Hydroelectricity is a big one. Hydroelectricity might just be uh, one of the most efficient uh, means of electricity that's out there, but oil at the same time doesn't get a lot of love either. I mean, oil is used in pretty much everything. Well, this goes back to our infrastructure episode we had where we talked about supply chain, how the entire supply chain is dependent on oil. You know, boats, planes, uh, trucks, you name it. The supply chain is to build out buildings. It's all oil. The, the, the entire infrastructure supply chain is mostly dependent on oil right now. And that's when we were talking about, you need at least a 30, 40 year horizon before you start really seeing a transition out of oil, a real transition out of it. Yeah. So don't get me wrong. Oil is sort of in a decline, but I think it's still a necessity. Yes, it's going it's, to, yes. it's still a necessity for macroeconomics. And Especially, this is why I think, yeah. This is why I think energy, I mean, moving forward, I think energy is going to be a big winner going yes, into of this. of course, 100%. Going into this decade. I'm looking at the chart now and I'm just like, dude, you want undervalued plays right now? Look at energy. Yeah. But that's the beauty of every time you look at the, the market, when things start to fire, what it does is it draws a lot of attention to the prices that are inflating like crazy. And what it does is it creates a lot of undervalued assets around it. And that's where the contrarians or the people who say, well, let me step back. Let me start putting a little bit of, let me start deploying a little bit of capital and things that are being ignored by the general market. So this way, and let me still hurt some cash so that the real things that I want to expose to, if it comes down, I'll buy. But really, especially energy, you can go long on that, especially as a young person, there's nothing wrong. Normally it provides cash flow. Um, 
the growth is there, especially if you're going to get good exposure because the world's going to keep getting online. The economy, global economy is going to continue to grow. We assume that's going to, that's what's going to happen. I mean, that's a good assumption uh, uh, to assume. To be, to, to be determined. I mean, we'll see yeah, what exactly. happens. But, but yeah. to assume otherwise would just mean then what's the point of investing long-term? Because the only way, to, the only reason to invest long-term is we assume a positive outlook long-term building. So now here's, here's, here's the challenge that I think energy is going to face in the short term. Uh, oil price, oil, oil, I think oil, the price of oil right now is still in price discovery mode. Um, it doesn't know what it's worth given. And there's probably going to be a lot of bankruptcies that come into play. I mean, there've already been like over 12 or, or 20 mm-hmm. uh, oil companies that have filed for bankruptcies, but I still think that oil as, as a general asset, as a commodity is still in price discovery mode. Yes. I agree. Um, so there needs to be a stabilization there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there also needs to be, unfortunately, or fortunately, a stabilization on the political scale for the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, many people are like, well, like, you know, there's tensions between China and the U.S. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, that's, there's, those there's a reason. Those, those have existed for the last exactly. four years. Yeah, those the, are uh, on the scale of what's going on in the U.S. Like the U.S.-China issue is not even at the top of that scale right now. I mean, personally for me, it's, it, that's just everyday things that have been going on for two decades between China and U.S. I would look more internally as a, real, as a, as a really big impact for uh, a political factor. Yeah, and... Um, just, just keep that in mind. Like it, th- this stuff takes time, right? Everyone's looking to make that quick, like, you know, yeah. million dollar FOMO, trade. Man, that FOMO and greed gets to people so easily in the markets. Yeah. So I think energy is one other sector. Um, yeah. The other one, and I mean, we talked about this extensively, was gold, silver. Commodities, yeah. Commodities. But they go together, right? Commodities, infrastructure, energy. That it, uh, it, It's literally a lump collection of things that you can't really get one without the other. Agreed. And I think there's one other sector too that even though it's had a pretty significant rally recently that's going to be talked about is housing. A lot of, I mean, look at the housing starts this year in the States and in Canada too, like, uh, you know, people are building houses. I like go figure, you know, many people were expecting, you know, this to be a, a declining year, but apparently not. I mean, unless you're in New York, there's been an influx of people moving disastrous. out of New York and into Florida, just yeah. an absolute disaster. But, um, but one, I think, I think one of the main factors for the insane inflation price inflation that we saw in real estate, I think it's heavily tied also to the fact that when people saw interest rates go near zero, it's like, you know what? It's, it's house, like, okay. Housing buying frenzy. It's like Exactly. Because it's like, well, shit, again. now I can save 1%, 2% on interest a year compounded for 30 years. Let me go buy. So, and I, you know what? It would actually be foolish if you didn't at least consider maybe buying one investment property right yeah, now because the rate and lock that rate in for so long. But again, the material space has been a, massive like surprise for everybody i mean home home builders the painting companies Mm -hmm. they've been performing extremely well um and i think there's still some wiggle room on this one the thing that's going to drive this market down unfortunately i think moving forward is going to be financials right the financial space the banks they're experiencing something that could potentially and again i'm speculating here but based on the discrepancies based on the data that we've seen 
I think <laughs> that banks are going to have a hard time with their with their loans, their commercial loans, um, their yeah. personal their personal loans. It'll definitely slow down a bit. I bet it, it, it will. And I think I think banks and financials are going to pull this market a little bit deeper. And if tech falls with them as well, don't be surprised if there's another sell-off like this. Yeah, uh, It could be worse. It could be better. I mean, again, the thing that's there is the election that's kind yeah. of in the way. If you, if, if you look at, like, it, it, I entirely agree because if you look at the financials, it heavily reflects a lot of the economic factors that go on in the system. And if you look at the economic factors, there's a lot of things that are missing to support it. And there's a lot of issues. So I entirely agree with you that financials i agree that's why i was i was avoiding banks for a while I'm avoiding banks right now exactly because my my thesis is that if you're gonna see some struggles economically with the people and this and that and loans and all the debt guess what the 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 ones who face that 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 issue and they're the middlemen to all that is the banks and here's the thing that i'll say about banks too is usually during a crisis people don't start people only realize that banks have been banks were an issue until it's too late. You know what I mean? So I'll I'll compare this to 2008 that people didn't know what mortgage backed securities were back then or collateralized debt obligations were uh, only the, only the people in the investment banks, you know, that was an asset. That was a uh, balance sheet crisis right now. Presently we're in an income statement crisis. Is it going to transfer into a balance sheet crisis? That's to be determined. But again, I really think that there's going to be some cracks that are not being talked about right now. They might not be talked about for the rest of the year, but it will carry into next year. And you're going to see some people say, holy shit, there's something deeper that's going on here. Uh, And it's probably a good time for us to maybe wait on the sidelines before the storm settles. Sometimes the best thing to do is just sit on cash while you wait. You remember, like if you if you compare the way we, everything's been running and moving, it it if you look at it a sprint, you cannot sprint nonstop forever. A sprint is bound to slow down and come to a stop. That's literally how you can look at the graph. The bubble it starts to inflate, it starts to slow down, which starts coming down, and then it just comes to a halt, and that's where it consolidates. You there's it, nothing can just keep going up. It is not possible. There's, you would have to have infinitely amount of capital for that to occur. Then you would mean that your fundamentals no longer makes any apply. And that would also mean that retail people have more weight in the market than institutions. And institutions don't like to buy whenever. They don't like to buy at horrible evaluations. They need to ensure a return. And if their biggest competitor is institutions who apply in rational common sense to their own strategies, then as a market full of sharks, they all have to apply some sort of logic. And the logic is found in fundamentals and, and basic principles of, of trading and investing. So at a certain point, they just step back or they just say, I'm taking my money because I just made more than enough money that I would have made in 10 years. So it's like, I'm just getting out. Which is also a good way to take money off the table, right? I actually did this this week. I had a position at a very small uh, silver miner. Uh, it was up like about 140%. Uh, and I had a price target and a timeline. I was like, this thing's going to 40 cents, just based on you know the, the, the CEO's interviews online. Uh, but you know what? I actually sold the position because I already made about 130% on it. There I was go. like, I, I didn't want to, and it, you know, if it, it was already a long way down. Like if I were to lose the whole thing, I would have been out. And I was just like, you know what? I'm done. You know, that right there, first of all, is called 
I'm not trying to brag, but that is called discipline. And that's also called risk management. You're being proactive with your decision. You made a good return and you said, you know what? The risk to just hold makes no sense anymore. I made my capital. Let me get out. Worst Worst case, when people make a double and within a year or two or whatever, you could just always sell to get your initial capital back, let the free capital ride at that point. You could always do that if you want to maintain exposure or something. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's free money. money. You doubled, you take, you leave it there. Take you your take cost your ca- off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you put it somewhere else. So you keep it as cash, but at least it, it, it kind of indulges. There's nothing wrong with taking money off the table sometimes. And you have to understand where the price is relative to the value and to the risk you're putting in and not just go in just because everybody else is going in, which right. is what most people do. Oh, why don't you buy Tesla? It's Tesla. It's so good. And then you buy it a thousand eight, you buy it 2000 uh, and, and then you're then like, oh, and then it comes down. And guess <laughs> what? It's only been two weeks. We've only had two weeks of, of downward momentum, but it doesn't mean that it just won't continue. It kind of bounced back on the fourth big day. You had a big bounce back, but if the momentum continues to hold, it could just, especially Tesla that I've, I've been calling it the falling, falling angel on my Instagram. That's how I refer to it because it went up so goddamn high that when it comes down, it's going to come down like a falling. It's going to come from heaven down to back to earth. You and you and Riz had the same thesis, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's like, you like, I don't know. This maybe comes from the experience of being in the market for so long. It's just like, you, you got to be prepared for this, you know? Uh, there's just, just to, just to say guys, like think of it this way, right? If you're going to make a thesis, you're going to rationalize this out. It's more probable that it's going to come down than it is to continue going up. That's li- at 2000 or even at 2005, especially at 2005. Again, as the price keeps going up, the odds keep increasing that it'll pull back and come down hard. Then it'll continue to go up. The odds keep going, piling to the left, not to the right. I, I would rather see for the next three months, a lot of consolidation. Yes. Not any up or down, not even crazy up or down movements. I would rather see a lot more consolidation because that would also ensure in the market that, okay, investors are still waiting so the psychology has pulled back. Maybe most of the dumb money has been calmed down. They you know the psychology. People come down. People have time to now start actually looking and researching for where there's value, not just being being pushed by hype. So I I agree. Consolidation would have been nice. So we'll see where that goes. I think we'll again we'll leave the listeners with like three questions that they should always have when buying a stock, buying an investment, because I think I, I live by these rules. I think you do too. Um, everything's about rules and you got to stick to these rules because if you don't, you're gambling at that point. And it's just, it's, it's stupid. And it, you're, you're going to make more mistakes. You'll lose more money than, than you have in your account right of now. Course. So the first thing is, the first thing is what is your time frame? Yeah, absolutely. Right? What is, always. what is your time horizon? If your time horizon is a month, you are swing trading anywhere between a month, two months, three months, four months, five months, you are swing trading. If your timeline is a week, you're day trading. Exactly. It's, right? it's to, it, the reasoning the timeline matters is to contextualize your thesis in terms of how you're going to go about engaging with the market. When you understand your timeline, you can better align yourself with the strategy you're going to implement in the market. If you're going to go long, but you're yet somehow short-term volatility make, goes, makes you go crazy, then you're not going to be going long very much. So you have to kind of align yourself with that one. So most important rule, if you can't answer that question, don't buy anything. Yeah. Okay. So that's the first thing. The second thing is why did you buy this? 
Yeah. Your thesis. Why did you short this? This is your thesis, right? So this is taking a very proactive top-down approach. I like to take a top-down approach. You could do a bottom-up approach, whatever your style is. But I like top-down. I thought I find top-down is a much better approach because what you're doing is you're looking at it as if you're flying over the whole economy. Of course, of course. You're zeroing in on the things that are that are affecting. Like the idea of a blueprint, you will look down and then you can spe- specify more narrowed answers or questions and okay, this and that. So say when you do fundamentals, you want to start looking at management, the top level, who's the CEO. Okay. How do they operate? What's their experience? Okay. What's the business doing? What's the, what's the growth potential though? That's like the most important thing. Like you want to look at, for well, example, yeah. for example, in this case, Zoom, their valuation, believe it or not, is actually justified. Because they have had, they've, they've seen almost, I think it was a 300% increase in users. Yes. But now you have to, the issue becomes you have to somehow, you have to kind of for, you have to amplify that growth and say, well, you're going to maintain that for, if you say, if you say, well, if you can maintain that same type of growth for the next three years, the evaluation Let's assuming that at that point, three years, their earnings is at this point. Okay. Where does the PE come down to? Okay. That kind of makes sense. So it's always about what's your growth and is that growth sustainable? And then if it is sustainable for how long, and then where do you expect the PE to come? Assuming the stock doesn't grow from here and kind of adjust itself accordingly to the actual growth of the stock going short term, uh, midterm. Exactly. So that's that again, that's very important. Like, is that growth sustainable? So again, why are you buying? Why did you short? Usually shorting it is much more short term, not because it's a short, but because there's a lot more risk involved when you short a stock. Uh, Obviously you could buy put options. That's a much more easier way because you're only losing a premium. So understand why you're, why are you buying? Why are you selling the stock? To add to that, just to say this, it's the, one of the biggest reasons why you want to know your thesis is that the thesis kind of gives you your, your guidelines and your rules for what you're about to do, okay? The moment your plan starts to deviate, it becomes a, an alert system that says things are changing. And that's when you start asking yourself, do things make sense to maintain my thesis or must I start adapting my thesis or do I have to exit the thesis? Well, this, this goes to the, the third point, which is what is your exit strategy, yeah. right? So this is, you're taking the first step. you cannot answer without the other parts. Exactly. So they're all linear. This is a very linear approach. You need an exit strategy. If the stock goes down 20% from your original post and the macros have changed, it's probably a good idea to get out. Exactly. Take the loss, but also manage risk, right? Don't put 100% of your portfolio into that one position and then lose 20%. That's going to stink, right? If you you play the shorter game, a lot of the macro factors tend to come more into play. If you're going to play the longer game, a lot of being that when you play the longer game, one, the micro factors are very important, but at the same time, a lot of the macro factors are important because a lot of the fact macro factors are the ones that end up amplifying over a decade that yields to new shifts and trends that, that are dictated by micro cycles and micro factors. So when you're playing the long game, you have to kind of, make sure that the thesis in the point in time makes sense long-term, but you have to maintain an observation to make sure that the, 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 the ripples effect at a macro level don't end up yielding or shifting the perception of your long thesis because it can't, it very much can 50 years ago. Nobody saw oil vanishing into renewable 
50 years from now or 100 years from now. But there's a shift that's building where we're saying, well, we're going to end up going off of oil eventually and going on to renewable within the next century. So it gives you a perspective of how you're about to play the game. But that happens. Time moves on. Things change. So you have to kind of stay ad- in touch with the changes, especially a micro factor, because the micro tends, um, yeah, the macro, sorry, the macro tends to change a lot of the micro factors. So a lot of macro oh, micro there, there man. <laughs> no, but you're, you're, you're definitely, you're definitely hitting the, everything on the point. Like just understand the environment, right? If something doesn't go as planned, it's better to take a loss because the worst thing you could do in that situation is say, Oh, well, I'm down 20%. I'm going to hope it's going to go back to my other price. Hoping is not a strategy. I'm sorry. You know, hoping, hoping the moment you have a hope in your mind, you are gambling. It's like, it's like with the airlines, Uh, the airline thing was such a, I think 90% of people that don't, that don't know what they're doing or have not really experienced this stuff, their eyes were on airlines. And then every time someone said that to me, Nick, well, airlines are so cheap. This, that, that, that. Me me too. Yeah. The, the, The first question I would be like, okay, but like, do you think moving forward, it's the same or everything's changing while well, it's changing? Okay. So the past no longer applies to its fundamental, uh, the, the top price it had post COVID no longer applies, uh, pre COVID, sorry, no longer applies to the post COVID, uh, price target high because that high was for a different environment. Now we have a new environment, new factors, new fundamentals, new things going on. That price no longer exists. And if you take everything going on, you don't even want to assume that it's going to go to double the price because now you're just speculating off of nothing. I still think airlines are actually overvalued right now. I am a believer that airlines should go private. It should not be owned on the public market by people because it makes no sense. One of the biggest reasons it inflates is because of, of uh, buybacks. And if you have government, I would hope that the government giving money out as bailout would not be like, yeah, go ahead. Keep using your cash flows to artificially inflate your stock, which is almost the only way to do it because revenues don't vary. The only way airlines grow in revenue is either by buying, putting on a, a shitload of debt by buying on more planes. Which, or buying another airline. Which or is- buying another airline, which again, take, requires take on a lot, again, a lot more debt. But all it does is it, it, infl- it basically says, well, instead of making a billion, we're making 2 billion now, but we just doubled our debt load. Our margins are still the same. Our growth doesn't actually change. So somehow you're inflating my PE, but your growth is not really, artific- it's, there's no organic growth. All you're doing is taking on debt to buy somebody else to kind of improve the appearance of your business. But when you, when you just buy out businesses just to kind of incrementally grow your revenues, not from actual organic growth or anything that improves your margins. There's no reason for the PE multiple to be inflating. I agreed. Uh, I would personally just, I don't, I, I would never own an airline in my nope. portfolio. I would buy options on it because those <laughs> things like to move significantly up and down. Uh, but I just, it just, I, like you said, it's a capital intensive space. Yeah. So again, the three Too things, right? What's your, What's your time? What's your time horizon? That's the first most important question you got to ask. The second question is, okay, why are you doing this? Do you know what you're buying? Why, right? Yeah. Do you know all why? the questions, all the little questions you want to ask and yourself. Then, and the last part, once you have the answer to the first two, what's your exit strategy Yeah. for both scenarios? Okay. If it goes to a certain price over the course of a much shorter period, okay, probably a good time to take some money off the table. <laughs> if it dips 20%, and macros have changed to be more flexible. If you want to be a flexible investor, 
understanding, asking all the questions that Dan's talking about, all these things, it puts you in a headspace where you're more confident with your decisions, you're more confident with your consequences, and you're able to get back into it even if something bad happens because you know that it, it wasn't you, it was something the market established or that you learned your mistake and you moved on to the next strategy. Exactly. So uh, I think moving forward, if everyone is able to answer those particular questions, um, understand sort of, okay, what's actually happening in the market and not be part of that psychological herd yeah. that pushes asset prices over the top, um, you're going to be successful. No. You know, obviously people want to make $23 million on a trade. We all want to make that, but it's the journey guys, the, the honestly, only, investing is, is a journey. The only way you're going to get to that level is if you understand what risk management is, yeah. right? It's the only way. So yeah, I think you with, tend to, and you tend to learn that mistake. You tend to learn that mostly through losing money, actually. Yeah. <laughs> ironically. ironically, but again, you're, 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 you're paying your dues. Like that's, it is. it's, it's literally, your education. So, I mean, look, I think this is going to be, this, the volatility is going to continue to come back. Uh, it's what, September 13th, where I think yeah. we're 50, 52 days until that election. I, and, the, the, um, I, think, I think that the media is going to go crazy with Biden, Trump, Biden, Trump, up and down, up and down. Yeah. And, that, and then they're just going to fuel into all these fears. The, the sides are going to start playing fear tactics and fear taxes are going to start to well, they're, they're, they're already, things. They yeah, already are. <laughs> but it's going to deepen. It's going to keep growing and deepen. And then that's when I, I'm sure that things are going to get chaotic again right before the election. Uh, I agreed. So pay attention to that. Uh, earnings as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, any, anything to add? I mean, we could go on for another hour, but I don't think yeah. there's no, I, this I, th is, uh, I think this is, I think this is enough content for today or a lot of yeah. material that they had. To no, review. no, it's good. It's good. You guys just, honestly, you guys, it's ask yourself questions, be patient. If you miss, Oh, remember contextualize your lifespan too. If you're 20 years old and something's going on right now, if you said to yourself, okay, I don't want to be stupid and make mistake and lose money. I want to do the smart. I want to take a little smart. I want to take my time and figure things out. You still have the rest of your life, which is, 40, 50 years to build your wealth. Like I guarantee you throughout the next 10, five decades of your life, you're going to see countless booms and busts that you'll be able to take advantage of. So there's no, there's no need to rush. You're, 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 you're not dying tomorrow. That's it, man. Anyway, we'll leave it at that. Everybody have a great week. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, visit our website, newgenmindset.com and have a great week and stay safe, everybody. Ciao guys.